He's not bound by time. Before there was ever a beginning, he was there. He's the Alpha, the Omega. (laughs) And in a sense, that kind of fits what I want to say today because what do we really have to fear when God's already there? Take your Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 12. As we continue our Sunday morning journey through the gospel according to John, and boy, we're just flying right through this book, and we'll be in chapter 12 again this week, and I won't uh, recap all of last week's message, but we did consider the two questions which were being asked in verse 34, how sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up, and who is this Son of Man? Jesus didn't answer their question directly that day, but I believe the answer came loud and clear on day three after he was in the grave when he rose again. Jesus did, however, tell them to believe in the light, and I think Jesus was saying this, keep seeking. That's just my opinion, but I kind of get that out of what Jesus is saying to them because they're not yet quite connecting the dots, but keep seeking because if you don't, darkness will come upon you. And we saw in verse 37 that though Jesus had done so many miracles before their eyes, yet they believed not on him. And in so doing, darkness would fall upon Israel and Isaiah's prophecy would be fulfilled. And those who keep rejecting Christ, despite all the evidence, their eyes will become blinded and their hearts will become hardened so that they cannot believe while they are in that condition. And according to verses 39 and 40, they won't come to Christ and be converted and healed because it's getting worse and worse. The only remedy is to accept Christ on the cross, amen? He had to be lifted up so that we could be saved and have our blinded eyes open, our stony heart removed, replaced with a new heart. Who is this Son of Man? He's our crucified Lord. He is our Savior. He is our Master. He's our King. He's the only remedy for our sins. Now, let's pick up where we left off last week by reading verses 42 through 50. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You know what? We'll just stop there because that's as far as we're getting. When I study, <laughs> believe it or not, when I study, I got this plan to like take care of all these verses and it never works out. Um, it always ends up being one or two. So verse 42 starts off pretty good. Nevertheless, among, many, uh, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. Now, I mentioned many moons ago in this study that the day was coming when many of the religious leaders would begin to believe on Christ, that he was the long-awaited Messiah, and here it is. But this verse doesn't end so good. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Some have suggested that what this means is they had not yet come to a saving faith in Christ because they were not openly confessing Jesus to be the Christ. And the Bible does say we need to believe in our, heart, or in our hearts and confess with our mouth. 
Many equate their belief to what Nicodemus had already concluded when he finally came to Jesus in chapter 3, where he said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And when Nicodemus said that, he wasn't yet saved. But this word believed, it means to place your faith in. They evidently had done that, so it, it could be that they were just weak in their faith, but that they had a saving faith nonetheless. Now, I'm a very simple guy. I tend to take it at face value that they had a saving faith, but here's my conclusion. I'll let God sort out who goes on his right hand and who goes on his left hand on judgment day. He can decide who the sheep are and who the goats are, who's saved, who's lost. But what was their problem? Verse 43 says, For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And I'm sure we've known professing believers to fit that description. Honestly, if we examined our life when we first came to Christ, many of us may have been afraid to confess Christ in front of maybe co-workers, friends, family. And we must remember, all of us are at different stages in our Christian growth. Now, I think every Christian ought to be proclaiming the name of Christ. And I'm going to encourage you to do that this morning. But I understand, look, if you're not there yet, you need to keep seeking, keep getting there. Because I'm going to read you some verses today that ought to convict you. I understand we're all at different stages and we grow at different rates, but there's one thing we ought to be, do, we ought to be able to do right away, and that's confess Christ. Amen. Someone gets saved, but at work they don't openly profess Christ. They don't want to be labeled as a fanatic. But they'll come in and talk about how the Georgia Bulldogs whooped up on Notre Dame. so they don't say anything. And they just go with the flow. Is everybody with me? Someone gets saved, but their family is steeped in religion and they don't want to be the one who rocks the family boat. And so they don't openly profess Christ. And deep down, we know we ought to be saying something and we're convicted about not saying much about our newfound faith and we're silent over the one who has done so much for us and we just can't seem to overcome our fears. And here's the diagnosis when we boil it all down. We love the praise of men more than the praise of God. We would rather be accepted and blend in with the world than to have our, have our Heavenly Father look upon us and say, well done. We don't want to be singled out. Now, the chief rulers in Jesus' day, they didn't have a problem being religious in public. That was actually their problem. They, they liked the esteem, the, the privilege that being openly religious gave them. In Matthew 23, verses 5 and 7, it says, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. 
They make broad their phylacteries, and that just means they used to put scriptures on their body. They really just kind of took the Word of God and, and, and contorted it. They, anyway, and, and enlarged the borders of their garments, and loved the uppermost rooms at feasts, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplace, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. I always picture a room full of rabbis going, Rabbi, 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 Rabbi. <laughs> they loved all the attention that being a rabbi gave them. This is why when one came to Jesus calling him good master, which is akin to saying rabbi, Jesus said, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, and that's God. Jesus always wanted the attention to be back on his heavenly father. The Pharisees had allowed the praise which belonged only to God to be showered upon them. This is what false religions do, and this is what cult leaders do. And sad to say, this is why some are in the ministry today. They love the title. They love the reserved parking spot out front. They love their name on the door. They love their name on the sign out front. I have all those except for one. About 150 years ago and earlier, being in the ministry was considered the respectable thing to do. If you weren't born in privilege, you either entered the military or you joined the ministry. And I must have had absolutely no privilege because I did both. (laughs) In those days, the state or the government ran the church, and it was considered a good life choice. And it was no different in the Jews' day for uh, someone to be a rabbi. It was a good choice because it had so many benefits with it. And there are those today who are attracted to the ministry because they think it's a good life choice. And I got to tell you, based off of what I'm hearing in some of these churches out there, it is a good life choice. There's some churches in town, man. They have three different pastors. They rotate one Sunday, uh, um, every other third Sunday, preaching one sermon a week. Yeah, sweet. Sign me up. I don't think Liberty is going to go for that. <laughs> Had a guy call me and he said, uh, he said, how many times do you preach a week? And I said, well, it, it can vary between, you know, three to five. He said, a week? I said, yeah. He goes, man, my pastor preaches once every third Sunday. And I thought, I didn't even ask the question. I'm not even going to tell you what I was going to ask him. But we don't need people that are in the ministry for the prestige and for the ease. Because I can tell you as an independent Baptist preacher, there's not a lot of prestige. There's not a lot of ease. Many people have absolutely no problem blessing out the man of God. (laughs) And it's not all ease when it's done right. Well, amen. Now, don't take that the wrong way because I love the ministry. I'm just saying, don't look at the ministry as some great career choice because of all the praise you're going to receive in public. Nobody at the DMV says, step aside, Pastor Brooks just walked in. (laughs) I believe the DMV is the devil's lair, and every time I go in there, 
something is wrong, and they won't serve me. My wife can go in there. She comes out with four driver's license and everything else. I'm just saying, it's not like Cheers where everybody knows your name. You bunch of conservative Baptists. You knew exactly what I was talking about. But we do need those who will preach, thus saith the Lord, and hang the consequences. We've seen too many mama call preachers who are too ashamed to preach the whole counsel of God because they're afraid they're going to offend someone. Why? Because they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now in those days, there were great benefits for being in the synagogue. And the fear was, I don't want to be put out of the synagogue. Because when you were put out of the synagogue, it didn't mean that you just lost a fancy title, but it meant you were excommunicated. It wasn't just that you couldn't attend services there, but that religion ran the country. You would be forsaken because everyone else would be afraid to associate with you because they would be kicked out of the synagogue. If you're walking down the street and they saw you, they would go on the other side of the street to avoid you. You were essentially being shunned. It no doubt affected their ability to do business. It made life difficult. Remember when we were in John chapter 9 and Jesus gave sight to the man who had been born blind He did so on the Sabbath day, and that infuriated the Pharisees. And so, long story short, the Pharisees go to the man's parents, and they ask, is this your son? Was he born blind? Yes, that's our son. He was born blind, but we don't know how he was healed. And they said, he's of age. He can speak for himself. And then in John 9, 22, it says, these words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, that he should be put out of the synagogue. And all I'm saying is, it was a big deal to be put out of the synagogue. And being among the chief rulers with all these benefits, which meant a lot of praise from men, this is what was holding them back. And I want to tell you this morning that making a stand for Christ is never popular. It's never been popular. We've never been the moral majority. Well, what about the... Well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. It's not popular to stand unwaveringly upon the Bible. Ask the Supreme Court. We sometimes think when the pilgrims landed in the New World, everyone enjoyed religious freedom. But that wasn't the case. Baptists were hated because they were preaching against infant baptism. Let me lay some Baptist history on you. You research it out and you'll find this, that in in Boston, they were taking the Baptist and uh, tying them to a whipping post and flogging them for not having their babies baptized. In the colonies. We've never been the majority. Well, you just think Baptists are better? Yeah, that's why I'm a Baptist. 
You need to study our history. They so severely persecuted the Baptist in the New World that they had to flee to the wilderness to start a Baptist church. That's true. True Christianity is not easy. Just ask Christ. They beat him to the point where the Bible says he was no longer recognizable as a man. They led him outside the city to crucify him. Ask John the Baptist who was beheaded. Ask James who was ran through with a sword. Ask Stephen who was stoned for preaching Christ. Ask Paul who wrote this. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In laborers more, uh, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often in hunger and thirst and fastings often in cold and nakedness. And that was just by the time he had written 2 Corinthians. When you get to the end of his life, we learn from secular history that Nero, the wicked Caesar, had him beheaded. It's not easy to live the Christian life. Now, nobody in here has ever been persecuted like that. We've not been martyred in here, and I know some parts of the world are suffering today. We are very blessed to be in America where we still enjoy religious freedoms. But I will tell you this, that those from our past are going to rise up in judgment against us because we did so little with the freedoms we enjoyed. Let me ask you this. What are you so afraid of? Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's Jesus' words. Why are you so afraid to confess Christ? Why are you so afraid to preach Christ? Why are you so afraid to live for Christ? Did you know there's people in church, even when surrounded by other Christians who are still ashamed to be a sold-out Christian. Usually it's our teens and young people. Some teens, while attending church or attending a church youth event, still don't want to be that fanatic. They still want to seem cool and worldly. But with just enough Christianity to fool everybody around them. And if it wasn't so serious, it'd be humorous. Because you stick out like a sore thumb. You ought to be up here seeing what I see. 
you look like the devil is all over your face. That you don't even know the Lord as your Savior. And it's obvious you've got other things you would rather be doing right now. And the problem is you desire the praise of men above the praise of God. And you can't wait to get back to your secret life on your phone where everything's compartmentalized and hidden and strategically placed where nobody can find out about it. You got everything hid from public view and you may have some fooled, but you're not fooling God. This is why I like elderly. They've been around long enough to know that that's just a fad. And wait 40 more years and it's going to come back around. If you're still caught up in fads and worldly pleasures which take your mind off the Lord, then I'll just go ahead and tell you this morning, you're never going to be a solid Christian while being accepted by the world. The Bible teaches that that is an impossibility. You cannot please the world and please God at the same time. James 4.4 4 says, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 say, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And we have churches full of people who are trying to walk as close as they can to the world and get away with it. (laughs) Preacher, you'll appreciate this. Nobody's ever come to me and said, would it be okay if I just sell out for God? It's never happened. But you know what people will do? Preacher, do you think it's okay if I do this? Because we want to get just as close as we can. Now, I'll tell you what I tell them all. I'm not your Holy Spirit. You're not going to stand before me and give an account. You're going to stand before God. Now, if you want my opinion, i got plenty of them. But I'm not going to tell you what to do. Unless i got, you know, book, chapter, verse. But nobody ever says, man, would it be okay if I just get all in for, for God? A house divided against itself cannot stand. And the Bible teaches that we must hold to the one and forsake the other. You cannot love God and the world at the same time. You cannot play in the dark and walk in the light at the same time. I'm just going to read you some passages to close out the sermon. We'll let the Word of God prick your heart. But please listen. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever, shall, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. 
For what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 9.33, And as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Romans 10.11, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Philippians 1, verses 20 and 21, That in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And everybody loves to quote that verse. But here's what it says right after. Be not there therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Amen. Nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and mortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And man, we love to say this one too. For I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And those two great verses that we love to quote are both, uh, one follows and one starts with, don't be ashamed. First Peter 4, 16, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. And here's the bottom line this morning. These chief rulers did not want to bear reproach for the name of Christ. They didn't want to be reproached for Christ's sake, which means they didn't want to be defamed. They didn't want to be railed on. They didn't want to be chided, and they didn't want to be taunted. But this is exactly what every child of God better learn how to endure if you're going to live for Him. Now, I realize that it takes on different intensities in different cultures and nations and at different times in history. But the child of God who will go on to do great things for God will suffer reproach in some form. Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 27. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. In Isaiah chapter 51 and verse 7, Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. In Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 42, And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, 
they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 14, Beloved, think it not a strange Uh, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. Now, of course, Jesus is our ultimate example. The Bible says that he despised the shame. He endured the cross. He endured such contradictions of sinners against himself. In Psalm 69, speaking of our Lord, it says in verses 7 through 9, Because for thy sake I have borne reproach, shame have covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. And the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah! What a Savior! Are you bearing his reproach? Well, they might put me out. Let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing His reproach. Why? For we have here no continuing city. As I thought about the chief rulers and their belief in in Christ and, and yet not confessing Christ openly out of fear, I wondered today where you're at. Do you still love the praise of the world over the praise of God? Are you a believer who lives in the shadows? There's no, there's no need for covert Christianity. Are you ashamed to speak openly for Christ? Is there someone you know that you should have spoken to, but you cowered in fear? I've been there. Are you afraid of the reproach which you will endure if you sell out for Christ? Christ did everything for us. Shouldn't we do the same? I want us to get our hearts right today and leave out of here with more boldness and less fear. And that we would be living testimonies for the Lord Jesus Christ. This world has nothing to offer you. There's nothing worth holding on to that we would forsake Christ and not testify of Him. We need to go outside the camp bearing His reproach. And who cares what they do to you? Jesus said, look, you better fear the one that can destroy the soul and the body in hell. 
I don't know how your witnessing is today. But if you need to do business with God, meet me at the altar because I'll be there myself. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for your word. I pray that we were not only challenged today, but that we would leave out of here changed to be a better witness for you. That we would not be fearful of man. That we would understand eternity hangs in the balance and there's nothing in this world that's more important than that. Help us now, I pray for Christ's sake. Amen.